Howdy, dream cowboys. Welcome back to another episode of the Westworld Podcast Western Movie Club. Tonight's movie, The Ridiculous Six, starring Adam Sandler and everyone else in the world. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast. So if you're new to the Western Movie Club, we are a Westworld fan podcast, but Westworld, the show, isn't coming back until we all wish hard enough for it to come back. Westworld is like a book you read in the past and you know you liked, and then when you go to go try to find it, it turns out your entire house is burned down and it's the book's fault. So it's it's fashionable these days to hate Adam Sandler. I don't think that makes it wrong, though. No. It's kind of deserved. Uh, maybe. I think the comedy nerd in me wants to hate Adam Sandler, but I refuse to, and I never will. And it's for a real reason. It's for Billy Madison. It's for Happy Gilmore. It's for Click. It's for The Wedding Singer. It's for, uh, like... A few more movies, but that's four movies? Can you, like, name a few people who you like four of their movies? Like, especially in comedy, there aren't a lot of them. And the first one I said was Billy Madison. The person who makes Billy Madison, in my opinion, is set forever. Now, even though he made this movie, <laughs> The Ridiculous Six, which we'll get into later, I still don't hold it against him. The man made Billy Madison. And if you don't like Billy Madison, then I just, I don't know. I don't know. I've seen two of, these are are like the phase three Adam Sandler movies, which have all been pretty bad across the board. I saw Pixels on a plane. It was bad. It it was basically unwatchable. Much, much worse, I thought, than The Ridiculous Six, but, you know, that doesn't say a lot. The Ridiculous Six... The Ridiculous Six is Citizen Kane compared to Pixels. And part of it is, it just seems like, so yeah, we're not in middle school anymore. Fair enough. But Adam Sandler himself, like, doesn't do jokes anymore. He didn't really do jokes in Pixels. He doesn't really do jokes in Ridiculous Six. Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore and The Wedding Singer have so many quotable lines that come straight from Adam Sandler. I can't remember a single funny thing Adam Sandler said in this movie. There were funny people in it saying funny things, and he was not one of them. I guess he is fine taking the back seat in that moment because, you know, he co-wrote them with Tim Hurley. And this was also directed by Frank Karaki, who directed Wedding Singer, Waterboy, Click. It's... The production team is the Happy Madison team, so it's all Adam Sandler and all Adam Sandler's people all the time. And he shopped this thing around a bunch of places, he finally landed at Netflix, and then it became like the most watched movie on Netflix of all time, while everybody was like, it sucks, I hate it. And then the guy at Netflix was like, do you guys really though? Because everybody's watching it. But I think your point is valid, because... You're right. Adam Sandler, while being the main character of this movie, was absolutely not the funniest character. I remember a few actual jokes. There's a physical joke where he's a literal tumbleweed at one point, and I thought that was slightly funny. But other than that, he doesn't have a whole lot of punchlines, because it's an ensemble piece, and you gotta give some to some other people. But, yeah. I mean, it's... I'm not... 
here to tell you The Ridiculous Six is one of the best Western movies of all time. All I'm trying to tell you is that it's better than Cowboys and Aliens. Yeah, I, I, of course I disagree with you on that point. I'm still looking forward to the day when you admit that some movie in existence was worse than Cowboys and Aliens. How about this? Pixels or Cowboys and Aliens? Oh, God. Yeah, there's a Sophie's oh, choice for you. Jeez, some crepes. Hallelujah. What do you even do in this situation? You know what? Okay, come back to me at the end. I can't even do this right now. So the movie Cold opens with two people in Native American garb riding up to a trading post. This turns out to be Adam Sandler playing a character named Tommy, or alternatively, his Native American name, White Knife, and his beautiful Native American fiance, whose name is Smoking Fox. Yeah, they just they just name people what they are in this one. And I guess from the very beginning, let's all say the thing that this is kind of pervasive throughout the uh, the media after the movie, but also in the movie you could kind of tell, which is some of the Indians who were extras on this set had a very big problem with it and just left. And by big and by big problem and by Indians on the set, I mean like four out of like 150 of them so it was only four of them but it got covered by like the new york times like it got covered in a in a in a pretty big way and i guess we'll have to see at the end of this movie if you james or i or i think the audience should agree that it's one racist or two just kind of stupid I think what they were going for is that, oh, this movie is not meant to be racist. The Western genre is racist, and we're pointing that out by being ultra, super, over-the-top racist. Right, which I, I don't disagree with. I believe the Western genre is racist, because I believe it was based on the West, which is racist. In fact, if it was based on the real world right now, it would still be racist. I don't know, I, I guess this might be news to some of you, but people are still racist. So while Sandler is in the trading post, hanging out with the salty trading post owner, whose name is his his name is Clem. He's played by Steve Zahn. Yeah, I like Steve Zahn. You don't see him too much anymore these days. Yeah, he was in that one movie with Jason Biggs where he didn't want Jason Biggs to marry that other lady. Great movie. At first, he doesn't trust him because he thinks he's Native American because the way he's dressed. But then he just like oh, he realizes he's a white guy, and that puts his mind at ease. Outside, Smoking Fox is chilling by herself when she gets accosted by the members of the Left Eye Gang, named so because they all wear an eye patch over their right eye. In this gang are actors such as Nick Swartzen, who is also a comedian and one of the executive producers on the project. The leader of the gang is Will Forte, a.k.a. McGruber! They all have the same eye patch on. They apparently carved their eyeballs out with a spoon, and they have a jar of eyes to prove it. And at some point, Nick Swartzen's character, or or Will Forte, I think, calls Smoking Fox polka hot tits, as well as saying the term chemo slobby. Uh, and which... I think Will Forte and Nick Swartzen are genuinely funny human beings, and Will Forte was probably one of the better parts of this movie. 
so they threaten Smoking Fox like they're going to kidnap her, but then Sanders comes out and he easily defeats them with his super speed, which was not something I expected for a character to have superpowers, like like legitimate, blatant, he's got superpowers. Except for the fact that, like, the rest of the movie, he doesn't have that, right? This is the only time he was actually really fast. Other times, he just, like, does cool stuff, but he doesn't run like the Flash. Yeah, well, he's like Cartman in that one episode where they're ninjas. He has many, many powers, and it's whatever power he needs in that moment, he's got it. Exactly. So he beats all of them up with ease while being super cool about it. This is exactly a lot like Cowboys and Aliens. The first scene is, hey guys, this guy is really cool. And then in there, in the store, he got flour and a carrot, a carrot for his horse. He uses that carrot to throw through someone's leg. He threw it through the the shopkeeper's leg, played by Steve Zahn, which I didn't even know you could throw a carrot through a leg. It was pretty cool. The horse was pretty disappointed. Didn't even get dinner. So we've been name dropping a lot in these past two minutes of recaps, and that's going to continue because I don't think I've seen another movie with as many fucking cameos as The Ridiculous Six. There is a cameo every two minutes. It's kind of like if there wasn't enough substance in this movie, they were just going to be like, that's fine. Nobody will notice because names. Smoking Fox warns White Knife that he needs to stop fighting because one day he might get killed, but he's really not bothered because he's the ultimate badass. When they return home to their Apache tribe, all of the Native Americans in this movie speak broken English in uh, in in what would be an offensive stereotype in another movie, but I think that's the joke here. Right. It's that thin line of... I'm pretty sure this is a joke, because if it wasn't a joke, it would just be racist. Immediately, his his real father, because he's, he's half native, right? Or is he just a white dude raised by natives? He is a white dude who has two white parents, but he was orphaned at a very young age and has been raised by Screaming Eagle, the leader of the Native American uh, group of human beings he is with. Right, but his real father, Frank, help me out here with the last name, Stockburn, shows up and he really wants to talk to White Knife, but White Knife isn't interested in him because, you know, he hasn't seen his dad for his whole life and he doesn't want anything to do with him. Screaming Eagle is giving White Knife some advice. He says, you know, sometimes the white man speaks the truth, like one out of 20, one out of 25 times, maybe. And... White Knife says, "You know, I, I need a night. I need a night to dream. One, uh, perhaps a, uh, perhaps a dream in between now and then. A dream sequence, perhaps, will lead me to my answer." He eventually does go to meet with his dad, who's like a broken down old drunk. His dad, Frank, who calls him by his Christian name, Tommy, says that he's sick and he's going to die soon, and that he wants to go with Tommy to dig up some money he's got buried as way of inheritance. Basically, he's got 50 grand buried in a hidden location, and he wants Tommy to have it as repetence for not being there for him his whole life. Yeah, he feels bad. Also, let's point out, Frank Stockburn is played by Nick Nolte and has an incredibly like raspy voice from whiskey and smoking forever and it's just how Nick Nolte talks because he's absolutely insane 
He's at, he's like truly an, a real insane pu- person. I mean, I think Gary Busey and Nick Nolte are the same person, but they're both equally insane. During the dream that White Knife has, he sees that uh, we get a flashback of his mother getting shot. They were just walking to school and someone with a tattoo on his right hand shot his mother. And then we and we go straight into this whole his father is is trying to give him 50 grand thing right off the bat. Which doesn't feel like 100% on the up and up. How often does your long lost father just show up and say, I have 50 grand and it's yours? Yeah, Tommy is skeptical about this whole story. But then the two of them connect when they share stories about Tommy's dead mother. Who Frank claims was his, his one true love in life. She had a temper, but she was the only one who loved me. And... As the morning breaks and they were talking all night about White Knife's mother, a uh, another Native American woman comes out of a, a teepee and uh, and White Knife calls to her, "Hey, never wears bra. Uh, you you know it's a good morning, I guess." It, the joke is that the girl coming out of the teepee doesn't have a bra on, and her name is Never Wears Bra. But another thing is that's Adam Sandler's wife who's a white person and has uh, blonde hair and dyed it brown for this part. So one, Adam Sandler married a hot person who could play a, a character called Never Wears Bra in a movie. And two, she's not a Native American and she's playing a Native American and I don't know how to feel about that. Yeah, this is our first instance of a woman in red face. We haven't seen that before. Is it easier to take? <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't think so. Tommy tells his dad a story, basically the one that we saw in his dream sequence, that he was bullied as a child, and so his mom would walk him to school, and then one day, for seemingly no reason, someone just blew his mom away while she was taking him to school. And so he feels a lot of guilt and regret that he was such a weak child that his mom had to take him, and she was put into that situation, and he blames himself. As they are lamenting about this situation, a bunch of horses ride up they all have black hats on as they do ride up a a familiar face danny trejo aka machete aka playing a man named cicero in this movie gets off the horse and says hi to frank because they know each other apparently uh tommy's dad frank stockburn is in retirement he used to lead this gang and cicero is here looking for Frank Stockburn's money. As the as the bunch of horses come up, everybody in the Indian village uh, take, like, a knife off screen and pull it on screen. They all have knives, including the baby. They're here for Frank because Frank duped them out of a bunch of money. Frank offers to lead them to where the treasure is hidden if they promise not to hurt any of the native peoples. And he's going to lead them to the wrong location. He says the singing windmill. And he loudly broadcasts to Tommy like, I hope you enjoy the nice trees and all these nice trees out here. I'm going to go find treasure. Trees. (laughs) Trees are very important. Uh, As Cicero is leaving, he says if the money's not there, he's going to bury him up to his neck. Like in Lone Ranger. As everybody leaves, the Screaming Eagle, the leader, says, Wow, that was uncool. Which I think was my first, like, slight laugh. 
that that actually happened. So White Knife feels and and says out loud that I guess he has to go get this 50k another way. He goes over by some pine trees and starts digging them up and it's just not working. So when Smoking Fox and Screaming Eagle come over and talk to him like, hey dude, just cut it out. He's like, I have to figure out another way to do this. So maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just Peter Pan this shit. Yeah, he decides he's going to raise the money himself and he's going to do it by stealing 50 grand. But because he's a good guy, he doesn't want to steal it from decent folk. He's going to find some bad guys and steal their money and then use that to ransom his dad. And again, Smoking Fox is just worried for her husband. She's like, you're going to go alone. Uh, You're going to die. You're going to die. We're about to be married and you're going to die. So that's not great. And he's just like, yeah, but like, I have to. So sorry. Hey, bye. And then we get a montage. Yeah, he heads to some frontier town. I don't know if it ever gets a name. And everyone doesn't like him immediately, because I don't know the way he's dressed, I guess. Even though now he's dressed like a white dude, everyone just instinctually hates him because he's Adam Sandler. Understandable. Yeah, he cut his hair. When he gets into town, he has to... Uh, he, he he has to explain to somebody... Oh, no, it was how he got into town. He, he went in front of a carriage, and they were like, what are you doing out here? He's like, ah, I rode out here, and then my horse died. And they're like, how? He's like, of suicide. He just put his head into a, 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 a body of water and didn't take it out. And the other guy's like, oh, that will happen. I've seen that happen. He looks like an honest white guy. Let's just bring him in. By the way, the set the set looks really familiar. Super familiar. It's all the same set. Just in every one of these movies. When he gets to town, he does, he like, he weirdly drinks from a horse watering trough. And he gets insulted and threatened by the town banker who's played by Chris Parnell. And I like to see Chris Parnell. He's not really funny in this movie, but I like him most of the time. Exactly. He plays the banker, so like the first bad guy. You could call him like a semi-boss. And right, this is Chris Parnell. I mean, this is Jerry from Rick and Morty. This is... uh. Dr. Spaceman. Yeah, Dr. Spaceman from 30 Rock. This And who is he playing? Archer, what's his name? Cereal. 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 <laughs> this is Cereal from Archer. Uh, exactly. It's nice to see him in anything, honestly. Uh, and yeah, he yells at White Knife when he's drinking out of a trough, because that's what White Knife, I guess, thinks to do. And he's like, that's gross. Stop doing that. And then above the trough, the hotel lady... Uh, kind of hangs out the window and is like, are you staying around here? You can stay here if you want. Yeah, he gets taken in by this innkeeper. It turns out through conversation that she's a former lover of his dad and his dad was a notorious bank robber and this woman also gave birth to Tommy's half-brother. As she's telling him all of this, he's taking out like 50 knives and putting them on the bed She's describing how she had intercourse with his father, but, like, in the room that they're in on pretty much every piece of furniture. She said that he mentioned the singing windmill, that it was a, sounded like a choir of angels. And he uh, sa- and she said that the place where he had his biggest score is where the actual stuff is buried. <laughs> and... Uh, 
he left a brother. That's correct. And we're about to meet him. He's played by Rob Schneider. His name is Ramon Lopez, and he has a donkey, who he calls his burro. Yeah, uh, there's something in Rob Schneider's contract where he's like, I will not play a character unless it is an exaggerated racist stereotype. And I thought it would be the worst part of this movie for sure. I hate Rob Schneider. Everything I've ever seen him in, I really hated. My favorite thing about him is how South Park made fun of him that one time. Because that was like the funniest thing to come out of Rob Schneider's existence. I honestly, as racist as this was, Ramon Lopez, played by Rob Schneider, a guy with a mustache and a poncho and a mule and a sombrero, just as racist as you can be. Not the worst part of this movie. Funny sometimes. And I honestly, most of the time, didn't mind it. Tommy fills Ramon in on the situation. Ramon is really touched that he has a brother. He's always wanted a brother. He's always wanted to meet his dad. And he decides that he has to help him and that together they're going to rob Chris Parnell's bank. And uh, the scene ends with the donkey projectile shitting all over the side of the barn. Which means that the donkey really likes White Knife. That's a that's a sign. That's one of yeah. everyone to know that this is a big story piece that you should all remember. This is a recurring joke. The donkey the donkey shits a lot. Here is a question that I want everyone to ask themselves, including you, James. By the end of this movie, I want you to answer this question: Who is a better character, Vasquez from The Magnificent Seven, or Ramon Lopez? From The Ridiculous Six. Vasquez was hardly a character in The Magnificent Seven. That's a good point. An ensemble movie who had one character who was was vastly underdeveloped. Probably not a very good part of that movie. Say say, say Ramon was better. Say it. (laughs) Ramon was certainly more developed. Uh... Yeah. Also, we don't, we way don't know more anything racist. about Vasquez except he was like the token Hispanic character. He was actually played by a Hispanic human being. Is that helpful? Yeah, that that's that that's some points to his credit. I don't even know which side I'm on. The next day, Tommy and his brother put their plan into action. Ramon walks into the bank with his donkey, which upsets Chris Parnell. Oh, what's a donkey doing in the bank? While this is happening, Tommy uses his knives to like. He does the dumbest thing. He throws the knife into the side of this one building so that he can kick jump off of it through the window of the building next to it. It's like you, there were stairs there. You could have climbed a little higher on the stairs and then just done that. He's a badass parkour guy. So, no. And he, as he jumps from one building to the other, it's very obviously a stunt double doing so. But it's the point is uh, White Knife does parkour with knives. Everybody knows that now. Right, if Ramon is Vasquez from the Magnificent Seven, then Tommy is Billy Rocks <laughs> with the knives, I guess. Yes, but he's also Denzel Washington. He's he he's 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 fifty percent Denzel and fifty percent Rocks. Tommy sneaks in through the window. He does Indian magic. It's really like fucking stupid. He basically. Because he was raised by Native Americans, he has Native American magic powers that suit any situation. The running joke in the movie is every time he does it and someone sees it, they say, that's some mystical shit. Which I think is the joke where 
why do Indians have magic? Why in why do you does everybody give them magic in movies? That might be the most racist thing you could do to give an Indian magic. He he chugs some whiskey and he turns it into a bomb which blows off the safe door. Magic. In there he finds stacks of money and then a message from his dad who had, I guess had also robbed this bank. Downstairs while Ramon is trying to distract the banker uh, as that sound happens, you know, the explosion upstairs, a line I actually did like, which was like, uh, I think Ramon says, like, I didn't hear that, did you? Which I think was funny. But we also get introduced here to, in my mind, the absolute worst part of this movie, and maybe the world. The character Lil Pete, played by Taylor Lautner, who's eating ice cream, and is just the town dolt and walks up to Ramon to say things such as you're robbing the bank like really loudly outside the bank while that's definitely not supposed to be he shouted he says something about having three nipples he's also Frank's child as it turns out and this is all happening downstairs while White Knife learns that from the back of the safe that Frank Stockburn went to Jawbone Falls at some point, so they should probably go there as well. Yeah, I don't understand what what Taylor Lautner was going for. He plays like Jar Jar Binks in this movie, basically. And as we all know, Jar Jar Binks is one of the best characters in the Star Wars universe. He just, like, screams all of his lines in, like, really loud, silly southern accent. Like, he sounds like... He sounds like Kenneth from 30 Rock, but, like, not acting good. Right. Kenneth, Jack, uh, Jack McBrayer, the guy who plays Kenneth, is a better actor than Taylor Lautner. I will, I will, I will chalk that up. Write that down. Someone do it. The banker goes upstairs to stop Tommy, but Tommy uses the safe door to Captain America-style block the bullets. He jumps out the window, and Chris Parnell runs downstairs to find him, and as he's about to shoot at Ramon and Tommy... They use their secret weapon, which is to have the donkey shit again all over Chris Parnell, which somehow incapacitates him. Which, as it was happening, I was like, this is an Adam Sandler movie where the bad guys just get pooped on. Right, and this is this is absolutely not going to be the last time we have a donkey shit joke. This is This is a recurring thing now. For sure. Also, as Chris Parnell is about to shoot them, he literally yells, Taste my bullets, you dirty foreigners. So they hop on to Taylor Lautner's wagon. Hey, I've got a brother. Yeah, this is our little brother. Oh, we're all brothers now. And they ride off into the sunset uh, together. We then port to the left eye gang, the ones who have all the, the with with Wills Forte and Nick Swartzen, and, and they have eye patches on, and, and they're initiating a new member, which is uh, Steve Zahn's character, Clem, from the beginning, who has a lazy left eye and now for their initiation they say they want him to scoop out his right eye the same eye that they all scooped out and and he's like well my left eye is like pretty is like pretty good or my left eye is not good at all my right eye is the good one so i don't really want to scoop out my right one can you just let me scoop out my left one and will forte is like "Mm, we get your predicament but rules are rules so he scoops out his good eye he puts an eye patch on and uh, apparently he's new and he's in the group now. Yeah, the CGI is really bad in this scene. 
Especially when you see him with like the empty eye socket, like the CGI is glaringly bad. They could have just not had that shot and it wouldn't have been so bad. Will Forte, as that shot is happening, putting the eye patch on, has a good line where he said, Oh, I touched the hole. Oh, I touched it. Together with their new brother, Taylor Lautner, Little Pete, Little Pete, they trick a pair of train robbers to, and they steal their money. They use a donkey show to distract them, basically. Like, Little Pete is getting blown by the donkey, and the, the, the train robbers see this and can't look away. And then White Knife knocks them out and takes their booty. Yeah, White Knife basically reverse parkours down a tree with some knives and takes the money while the distraction is happening. I forgot this part happened and I hated it so much. <laughs> this the donkey licking Lil Pete's nuts. <laughs> Just as it's happening, I was thinking like, what is my life? What has my life come to? <laughs> Who is this movie for? It's for seven-year-olds who have Netflix and have iPads that their their parents just let them have and with no restrictions whatsoever. That night, Little Pete is riding home to his mother. Uh, the three brothers are bonding and they're resting by a fire. There's this silly sequence where a fly is bothering them and Tommy's able to hit the fly by throwing one of his knives and then Ramon tries to shoot one of the flies but he's shooting all over the place and he kills Little Pete's horse. Yeah, as he finishes the letter, a crow comes and takes it away, which was pretty funny. Tommy asks where the windmill is, and he's like, I don't know, but we gotta go to Jawbone Falls to get more clues, and we'll probably hang if we get caught. At this point, Little Pete lets everyone know that he has a very strong neck, so that doesn't really matter. If he gets If he gets hung, it's not even a big deal. He won't even die. As they go to sleep, they say goodnight to the burrow, who dry farts, and Ramon says that means we'll have dry weather tomorrow. Apparently his farts are a lot like the groundhog and spring and winter. Yeah, his character is just like all donkey jokes all the time. Like, that's that's the only notable thing about that character is like he's Mexican and he has a donkey and if his line isn't about him being Mexican then his line is about him having a donkey I wholeheartedly disagree in fact his next line is I wish there were taco trees so how dare you James that's about him being Mexican oh well I mean yeah but it's also about tacos yeah they're riding to Jawbone Falls they're talking about tacos um, they get there and they find an abandoned shack, or at least it looks abandoned. When they're searching it, they get attacked by a wild mountain man who inhabits the shack. As they're coming up on it, Lil Pete calls the tiny little shack a mansion because he's dumb. They get ambushed by a giant dude with furs on who reminds me of Jack Thorne from Magnificent Seven. Vincent D'Onofrio's Jack Thorne, a Mary, a Mary, amazing character, one of my favorites of that we've watched so far. Dude seems pretty feral. He talks in grunts. He's a wild mountain man. He doesn't speak English. He's played by the fat dude from Lost. Jorge Garcia. He has a name. <laughs> uh, what I like is that like we have a Native American actor, Taylor Lautner, 
playing a white dude, and then we've got a right. white dude playing a Native American guy, and then we have a Hispanic actor playing a white guy, and a white guy playing a Hispanic actor. We're all over the map here. It feels purposeful. It feels like that was a conversation they had. Like, let's uh, let's hire a Mexican American and then not give him the Mexican American role. Yeah, I wonder if that was done on purpose. It's like, oh, we'll, we'll do this red face, and we'll do all this like offensive white people playing minority roles, but it'll be okay because minorities will play white people in white people roles. It'll it, it's all equals out. As they're like, done. Oh, in the writer's room, like, well, we figured that one out. Through a At game the, of... Stri- oh, sorry, go ahead. I was about to say. Oh, which, by the way, uh, if if in the future, I think uh, I think we left in one, uh, one time of me uh, blatantly over and over again interrupting you last time. Um, and I feel bad about it every time. But at the end of this, they ask, Herm, do you know any place where we can go steal from some bad folks? And apparently this person who just grunts does. Yeah, so he can't talk. He communicates with them through charades. He tries to write his name, but he only gets H-E-R-M squiggly line. Like, okay, you're Herm. Uh, it's established through charades that they're, they're that, that, this is another one of their half-brothers. He somehow knows, though he wasn't present for the event, that Frank Stockman banged his mom. And they're like, oh, well, you're our half-brother. And they take him on their adventure. They're going to go to the Gold Nugget Saloon, which is where Herm says they'll find some some booty. And he gives them all moonshine, because him and his mom are moonshiners. That's why they live out in the woods. Yep. Him and his mother, Delilah, who makes a damn good moonshine we then cut over to the left eye gang and they ride up on on a few of the indian women uh picking fruits outside of the village they correctly guess by insulting one of them their name whose name was beaver breath hilarious and you can kind of tell in that moment that they are there for nefarious reasons yeah, the, the Left Eye Gang kidnaps Tommy's wife, Smoking Fox, and they're going to use her as leverage to get back at Tommy. I guess it's not clear why they're kidnapping. <laughs> yeah, we don't. We we have no idea. We, it's not. It's not good. So at the unnamed town where the Gold Nugget Saloon is, the four brothers go to the barber shop. The barber is. Golden Globe winner, Emmy winner, Academy Award nominee, Steve Buscemi. Hats off to Steve Buscemi. That is a, a good friend. He doesn't need to be in the Ridiculous Six. He He's got all the money be. in the world. He's got all the all the acclaim in the world. He's like, yeah, Adam Sandler, I know that you're my less talented, less successful friend, but you know what? I'm going to stick with you till the end. I'll be in all your shitty movies. This is not false. I'm not making this up. I would argue completely against you in this moment to say that Adam Sandler is by far more successful than Steve Buscemi by some thought of success. Obviously, Steve Buscemi has won a bunch of things. He was in Boardwalk Empire. The man is, like, actually a wonderful character actor who... But at the end of the things you said, you didn't say Adam Sandler movie mainstay because he is. The man was in uh, Mr. Deeds 
as a guy who also has a lazy eye, apparently lazy eyes are a thing that are, are is pervasive throughout Adam Sandler movies. But uh, you're right. In this movie, he plays a barber slash dentist slash urologist slash doctor slash. I think the joke is that the barber does everything, and Steve Buscemi is that everything person. Well, yeah, that that's a joke on on actual frontier life. The barber was like also like the 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 tooth guy and the pharmacy guy. Not not quite to this extent. He's like also taking care of the donkey as well. And he uses only one ointment to do all of this. And then at some point, like, tastes that ointment too. I don't know. It was gross. Yeah, this was one of the gross out moments. He's putting ointment on the donkey's asshole. And then he puts the same ointment in Taylor Lautner's mouth. And then he's like, oh, and it tastes good too. And he, like, puts it in his own mouth. And I was like, ew, that's gross. Yeah, we should say that, you know, in this scene... Adam Sandler's character is like, nah, man, don't put the asshole ointment in my mouth. Because he's the straight man, and he doesn't do wacky shit. And I don't think it's come up yet, but he's doing a Clint Eastwood voice the whole movie. Yeah, he's doing just... He's kind of just doing this tone all the time. They learn from the barber that the Gold Nugget Saloon is owned by a former outlaw named Smiley who has a giant gold nugget on his hearth, which is where the name of the saloon comes from, and anyone who tries to touch or steal the gold nugget gets their thumb cut off and hung up, uh, strung up on the ceiling, and they also find out that Smiley used to also run in the same gang as their dad. As they go into the gold nugget saloon, you see a few names and a few faces immediately. Terry Crews... Uh, who plays a man named Chico, is playing the piano. Smiley is over in the corner with uh, some girls and having a drink. He is played by Harvey Keitel, another Adam Sandler mainstay. Not really, though. He plays the devil in Lil Nicky, so that, I guess, counts. And behind them is is Luke Wilson, who plays and and will play a guy named Danny. Yeah, they meet up with Smiley... And immediately Smiley gets approached by Luke Wilson, character named Danny, and he's trying to talk to him about how he can find Frank. He makes the mistake of putting his hand on Smiley's shoulder, and Smiley proceeds to beat the shit out of him. He gets stopped by Terry Crews, who's the saloon piano player, and Smiley apologizes. He's like, sorry, I don't like to be touched. And by the way, Terry Crews, if you ever do that again, I'm going to cut your thumb off too. So if you guys don't know who Terry Crews is, he's like a six foot three gigantic African American man who used to play football and he's now uh he's now on Brooklyn nine nine. He's also the uh, in the old spice ads. He's huge, which is why that's funny. While Luke Wilson slash Danny is getting beaten up by Harvey Keitel slash Smiley, the running joke there is that Danny never drops a dr- uh, a drop of his drink the whole time, even while he's trying to be he's trying to get stabbed. And then, as it turns out, after all of this is settled, Chico and Danny are also Frank's kids. Right. There's a joke made here. Where Chico, played by Terry Crews, uh, <laughs> tries to reveal to them, he's like, you might be surprised to know this, but I'm actually, uh, I'm biracial, I'm half black and white, you may not have realized this, but I'm half black. And they're like, oh, okay. Luke Wilson's character, Danny's like, yeah, I have to meet my dad because I have this horrible thing that happened in my past and I need to, to confess it to him. 
Ramon says, my mother's Swedish. And then someone's like, I think she's probably Mexican. And he says, oh, that lying bitch. And then they ask, does anyone have any special skills? And Lil Pete says he has a third nip. White Knife is good with knives. Herm is good at strangling. Danny can hold his breath for six minutes. And Chico says he can play the piano with his phallus. They all decide together to rob Smiley of the golden nugget. And then we just go immediately on to that scene. The two new brothers, Danny and Chico, are distracting Smiley. Chico's playing the piano really loudly with his hands. Yeah, very important to note. (laughs) Danny is trying to apologize to Smiley and buy him a drink while the other four are executing the robbery. The first thing they do is they catch Smiley's goons in a net. They start making a ruckus upstairs, which causes Smiley to go up there, and then they toss a rope down the chimney. While upstairs, Smiley's searching for the sound that he heard, and Tommy starts using his Native American magic to terrorize Smiley in what is like a faux comedy horror sequence. Outside, Herm is putting down rocks in a, a, a path, perhaps to follow later. The bartender at the bar, who is co-writer Tim Hurley, gets kicked by the burrow. Uh, and then Danny steals all the thumbs and follows the rocks outside. Uh, as you said, the dudes chasing him get caught in that trap and get hit by Herm, with, and Herm has a baseball bat, saying something to the effect of, that will teach you not to mess with the Stockburn brothers. I'm sorry, while Adam Sandler is looking for the safe, he opens a door beforehand and sees Norm MacDonald as a, um, as a cameo playing Slim Pickens in a room with two ladies. And Chico grabs the gold nugget downstairs because it doesn't go out the chimney. So he goes to plan B, which is just him grabbing the nugget and running out. Yeah, they're, they're, the plan that they made doesn't work. They all just have to run out the front door. And five of them, minus Ramon, are immediately caught by Smiley. He's got two revolvers on them. They reveal to him that they are the Stockman brothers. Stockburn. And- whatever (laughs) and he says oh really you're frank's kids well i hate frank because he once robbed me and left me for dead and now i'll get my revenge by killing his sons and just as he's about to do that ramon rides up from behind and he's like not my brothers you won't and he smacks smiley on the head with a shovel and smiley's head comes clean off and flies off of his shoulders Before that happens, he says something to the effect of Utah was his biggest score, so they know where they have to go next. Everyone screams as the head of Smiley comes off. Harvey Keitel Smiley keeps smiling, even when the head is off. His his body with no head on it it starts shooting everywhere around, including at his own head. And then eventually, he falls over dead. Yeah, I mean, that... I didn't find this funny. I did find when the head came off a little shocking just because I didn't expect it. The movie got me. Got me. I did. I I jumped. I did jump. And then at the end of it, Herm pretends to be Smiley by putting his coat over his neck and pretending to have no head. Everyone finds it very funny. They camp for the night around the fire. The ensemble is together now. Tommy tells the group about his adopted father, Screaming Eagle. The other brothers talk about how much they wish they had had a father figure in their life. And a song breaks out. There's a musical number in this movie. 
the second dumbest thing that happens uh, minus every time Lil Pete is on screen. In this song, they ask uh, pertinent questions like Ramon asks, we'll search for the taco tree. They'll say they're going to ask why their their moms were porked, quote unquote. Uh, Chico says they're going to play pianos with their dicks together. And Pete asks why he has three nips. Herm has a pretty stupid verse where he doesn't say anything because he can only grunt. And then White Knife is like, yeah, but you all have moms and mine's dead. So I feel bad about it. It's definitely like an Adam Sandler song. Like, if you ever heard the old Adam Sandler comedy albums, like, it sounds like it could be right off of one of those. Yeah, right. In in the set list, it could be right after Hanukkah song, and everyone would be like, yeah, of course. It's not good, though. It's not good, and it's not funny, like like those comedy albums were. That's actually true. I love the Hanukkah songs, and this one was bad. The next 15 minutes of the movie are a fucking waste. Ha ha ha! They wake up the next day because a baseball lands in the camp. They go out to find the source and they meet up with Abner Doubleday, who was a real person. Played by John Turturro, a.k.a. Jesus from The Big Lebowski. That's right. Uh, he's, he's Historically, he's credited by having invented baseball, but that's not actually true. It's just the way history remembers him. And he also knows Frank, and he'll give them information on where they should go in Utah if they stop and have a 15-minute Let's Play Baseball sequence. Like, he's like, come invent baseball with me, and I'll give you the information you want. And they do stupid jokes like, uh, it was going to be 10 people on each side, but there's only 18 people, so it's 9. And they're like, fine, whatever, 9 people on each side. I'm I'm not going to go through the rest. It's stupid joke after stupid joke to see, like how baseball was created. And then at the end, Abner Doubleday is like, well, you have to go to Sweet Hog Rock. Right. The the one joke is that Abner Doubleday is making up the rules of baseball to serve himself as they play. And, and you know, the guy who's playing shortstop is short, and he's like, ah, you're a shortstop. Yeah, I'm just going to call you shortstop. It's, it's that. It's that joke again and again and again. Little racist. The guy playing shortstop is obviously a Chinaman. They all have very, very racist clothes on, and uh, although everyone does, I guess. So <laughs> I guess chalk it up. Right. It's like you can't even call out the racism they're doing with, like, the, the, the Old West Chinaman stereotype, but they all have the conical hats and, like, the old Chinese dress. Because, like, is that the joke? The joke is, like, oh, this is so over-the-top racist that it's not even racist anymore because we've reached peak racism and we've entered satire territory. Yeah, it's honestly, it's not even registering with me anymore. But at the end of it, he at least has some good information saying, you know, you have to go to Sweet Hog Rock and we knocked off a gang of human beings, a Yankee cavalry maybe, near there, and we took all their money. Yeah, this movie is overly long, and this was an entire 15-minute sequence that was not at all funny and could have been completely cut out. Should have been cut, but also, is that just a side effect of this being a Western? This is a two-hour movie. They're all two-hour movies, you know, minus How the West Was Fun, which is still a hour-and-a-half-long Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen movie, which is usually not that long, I know, from seeing all of them. And... Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just a side effect of it being a Western, but... 
And it's also the, the fact that it's a Netflix movie. It's like, well, there's no box office we have to worry about. Well, let's not edit this thing to death. We've got this footage. We paid these actors. Yeah, we're going to put it in there. What does it matter? Right. You feel like if it was in movie theaters, you would have never seen this scene. And it would not have been a two-hour movie. For sure it wouldn't have been a two-hour Adam Sandler movie. No, no one would have let that happen. We're back with the Left Eye Gang, and they're interrogating Steve Buscemi, the barber from before. And Smoking Fox is outside on the porch being held at gunpoint by Steve Vaughn. Steve Zahn. What did I say? Vaughn. Fuck. <laughs> at this point, you get you get enough names wrong where I think we just move forward. No. <laughs> Smoking Fox is on the porch being held at gunpoint by Steve Zahn. Zahn. <laughs> uh, and it turns out when he removed his right eye to join the left eye gang... That was, like, his good eye, and his left eye is his bum eye, and so now he's completely blind, and so Smoking Fox just, like, walks away from him. That's all that happens in that scene. That's all that's there. Also, uh, we see Steve Buscemi's barber gluing on Smiley's head with the same ointment he was using in the last scene. It was gross. Yeah, I guess he's trying to revive him or something, but I don't know. Uh, the brothers arrive in the outlaw town of Rattler's Nest... Little Pete sexually assaults the sheriff's wife so that he can get himself hanged. Specifically, he, he motorboats her. Yeah. So they're, they're like, well, you know, you're doing the Clint Eastwood accent, so we we have to do a good, the bad, and the ugly reference. Or Seriously. Or, or, what are we, or what are we doing here? So they go to hang Little Pete. Oh, but but it's a callback to the earlier joke. His neck is too strong to break, and so he's just hanging there on the rope, and he's having a great time. How much of this did it remind you of Shorty from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, right? And in that moment, you're like, oh, sorry, Shorty. Yeah, Little Pete, also known as The Rat. <laughs> the Gambler. Using that whole thing as a distraction the other five are robbing another bank and on their way out of town Tommy does the good the bad and the ugly thing he cuts the rope uh, with a knife and they save little Pete and they're dragging him behind the wagon and uh, it's not funny no at the end Pete just lands on the cart or actually behind the cart and then gets dragged behind with the rope still around his neck Sometime later, they're all swimming in a pond and celebrating. Why? Yeah. Why? I know why. It's because they have to use this next Danny thing, but this is stupid. They've finally gotten the 50K together, and they're asking him about Frank when the left eye group ambushes them. But yeah, like Ryan just said, Danny mentioned earlier that he can hold his breath really long. And so in, in this movie, you can't make a joke without having a callback to it. Danny has value. Everyone needs to know that. And so when the left eye gang is holding them all at gunpoint, Danny has dipped underwater and pops out somewhere else and uses his gun to blow the gun out of out of MacGruber's hand. And they all run away, but not before stealing the 50k from from the ridiculous six. After this, they're all pretty sad. Danny talks about the fact that he wants to talk about his secrets with his father again. 
and they're like what are you just tell us what the secret is dude he's like i don't know and then he's like fine i will tell you he used to work for one of the presidents of the United States as a personal bodyguard till one night, and then it cuts to Luke is the bodyguard for Abe Lincoln, and he's like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom, I'll be right back. As he's leaving, Chris Kattan, playing John Wilkes Booth, is like, hey, where's Abe Lincoln's little place to go? And he's like, oh yeah, it's right over there. And while Danny is taking a poop, obviously, he hears the shot in the distance, because that's what happened that night. John Wilkes Booth killed Abe Lincoln, everybody knows that. I can't remember where, but I feel like this whole bit is lifted from something else. Like, I, 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 I wish I could pin down what it was, but I'm sure I've seen this sequence before where, like, an incompetent bodyguard of Abraham Lincoln's like, yeah, sure, go on up, John. Yeah, it's not, it's not an original thought. Anywho, Tommy tells him it's not his fault and that he, you know, he needs to not blame himself, even though it was totally his fault and he should blame himself. Herm has an idea on how to raise more money, but no one can understand him, but that's fine because Tommy has an infinite amount of magic powers and uses them to understand what Herm's saying. Gross. Whatever. So apparently some guy named Ezekiel Grant, played by John Lovitz, the critic from The Critic, and, you know... And John Lovitz. Yeah, he only plays one character, John Lovitz. Uh, He's having a... A yearly Valentine's Day high-stakes poker game, and Herm figures that if they go there, they should definitely be able to find all the money that they need. They do mention at some point that there's going to be a large amount of people with guns guarding this place. We meet Ezekiel, played by John Lovitz, and his lady friend Susanna, played by Whitney Cummings, who he tells her to get out of there, even though it is Valentine's Day. He's like, whatever, I'm playing this game. The game is with General Custer who played by David Spade, and Mark Twain, played by Vanilla Ice, which, out of all the jokes in this movie, this, I think, is my favorite one. The Vanilla Ice is Mark Twain thing. I really actually do. I like it a lot. I agree. It's fun to see Vanilla Ice, like, anywhere these days. Especially playing Mark Twain. And, like, as they... uh, And... They uh, walk in and they're asking like what they're going to do next. And he's like, I'm writing this other book. This white boy goes rafting with a brother. People go lose their shit. And I, I thought that was funny. Uh, John Lovitz delivers the worst joke in the movie. He's talking to his wife, Susanna. He's like, oh, Susanna. And I was like, Jesus Christ, Adam Sandler. You're bad. resist. <laughs> Ramon pretends to be a rich Mexican coffee bean tycoon. Named Don Don Diego. To buy his way into the game, he brings Herm and Chico with him as his piano player and bodyguard. He names Herm Chimichanga and Chico Blanco Beardio because Chico is wearing a white beard, which doesn't make sense. Unexpectedly, famous lawman and bounty hunter Wyatt Earp, another real person, played by Blake Sheldon, also shows up at the game, and this complicates things. You think, you think, like, oh man, Wyatt Earp is here, so there's going to be some kind of action sequence, or this is going to play into the plot somehow, that Wyatt Earp is here, because all the other characters are talking about it as if it's going to build to something, so you know it's going to build to something. It doesn't. Ace has Chico's Blanco Beardio drop a beat on a piano and with like an old school, an oldie, old timey 
piano song, he like actually raps over it while General Custer, played by David Spade, is like, all right. Yeah, all right. And I, I'll be honest, I laughed in that moment. Um, is Blake Shelton a better Wyatt Earp than Kurt Russell, you think? <laughs> this was a weird cameo to me, because, like, Blake Shelton. Was it before or after the OK Corral? I don't even know. By the way, we should probably watch Tombstone at some point. I just don't think of Blake Shelton as, like, a a Adam Sandler guy or, like, an Adam Sandler friend. He's just honest, famous right now. I don't think about Blake Sheldon a lot in general, but... At all? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, he's in this movie for no reason. Right. Um, Susanna comes up to Chico while he's playing the piano and seduces him. He's like, why don't you come up and see me sometime? So he goes to bang her. White Knife is outside watching with a telescope, and... He's trying to figure out a way to get in, and he said, there's no need to hide when you're friends with the wind. The two men at the door are also Sandler mainstays. One of them's the roommate from Lil Nicky. And a a, a, a movie I've now brought up twice, which is insane. White Knife does some, quote, mystical Indian shit, unquote, where he goes in the front door dressed as a tumbleweed, making Adam Sandler noises. Like, can you make the Adam Sandler noises? I, I can't do it very well. Can you do it? No. <laughs> okay, well, all the noises Billy Madison makes when there's not talking, like, you know, those ones, that was well, my that was best. Good. Yeah, that's pretty good. That was my best effort. He does those as he's going in as the as the tumbleweed, trying to be silent, I see. And as you said, uh, Susanna brings Chico up to the room, and we go back in, and then as Vanilla Ice's uh, Twain puts his money on the table, 15 grand buy-in, he says, make it rain like Twain. Ezekiel starts telling the story of how he got this really awesome whiskey for all of them. Uh, he's like, oh, I bought it from this super ugly woman and her dumbass little boy who could only grunt. And they were both disgusting, ridiculous people. And they're all worthy of our ridicule. And they all laugh about them. And it's clearly that they're talking about Herm and his mom. And so Herm gets really angry. And when Ezekiel leaves the room to get more whiskey, Herm stalks after him, leaving Ramon all alone in the poker room. Wyatt Earp in that moment says, that woman sounds like a real bucket of turds, which is something obviously Wyatt Earp would have said. Uh, so, and then as as Ezekiel leaves, Wyatt asks Ramon where his buy-in is, and Ramon does the signal to let everyone know that he needs help now, but Herm and Chico are gone. Right, so Wyatt Earp realizes something is up, and... He points his gun at Ramon, but just as he does, Tommy arrives, and he saves Ramon, and they steal the money, and this whole scene is wrapped up in, like, like 30 seconds. It's all, Nothing happens. You can tell they, they, they only had Blake Shelton for, like, two days, probably. Right. This scene was so pointless. They could have just had the Left Eye Gang not steal the money and not do the poker scene and not make the movie two hours long and not have Blake Sheldon in the movie to build him up like he's going to do something and then have him literally do nothing. But I still like this scene better than the baseball scene because Vanilla Ice as Mark Twain is either the stupidest thing I've ever seen or a masterstroke. During all of this, by the way, uh, Ezekiel's going to get the booze. Herm grunts, oh, say, can you see the thing that uh, Ezekiel said that Herm was doing while he met him at Jawbone Falls, reveals himself and strangles Ezekiel, the number one thing that Herm said he can do. 
And then as Ramon is doing the signal that looks like uh, Macaulay Culkin's face in Home Alone after he puts the aftershave on, uh, General Custer, played by David Spade again, he says, that's what I look like when I put my cologne on in the morning, especially when I'm home alone. Did you catch that? Did you catch that joke? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I did. I wish I That was it. It was improv. I feel fine about it. They ride together to Sweet Hog Mountain, which is a mountain that looks like a big old swinging dick. This was the <laughs> one the one joke that I thought was kind of funny. They get there, and all the characters are like, wow, that looks like a really big dick. Yeah, it looks like a huge dick. Wow, that looks like a big dick. And then Terry Crews is like, well, I mean, it looks all right. It doesn't look that big. Is that based on the idea that African Americans have large phalli? Yes, but we've achieved peak racism now. Nothing has any meaning. Right, that makes sense. Um, they think they hear the sound of the singing windmill, but it's actually just the Left Eye Gang having been buried up to their heads in sand. Apparently they encountered Cicero and his gang, and, um, I don't know, for some reason they buried them up to their heads. It's not really clear. I mean, Cicero does say that is that's the threat Cicero gives... Uh, white knife earlier in the movie if the money doesn't happen or get to them. Steve Zahn's face is covered with ants, which is pretty bad CGI. Uh, I think a rattlesnake is around Will Forte's head. A crow is pecking Nick Swartzen's head. Babyface, the one in that gang named Babyface, is Adam Sandler's nephew and the worst actor in this whole movie. Vanilla Ice blew that kid out of the water when it came to acting, and I'm not even kidding. Yeah, ne- nepotism. Yeah, seriously, it really is. But he gets uh, that Andler, Adam Sandler's nephew gets a a lizard up his nose. It's just hilarious. And then Tommy's like, "It's okay, I'll track them down because I'm an Indian and that's awful and racist." But you know what? It happened in How the West Was Fun too. So what are you gonna do? And they yeah. leave the eye patch people in the ground, and they say, you know. We'll dig you up only in one condition if you start doing good. And Will Forte actually yells, I'll be a good boy, which I thought was funny. Right. So they save the left eye gang. They get their original 50K back. So now they've doubled down on their money. They've got the money they stole from the game and they've got the money that they got from the left eye gang. They give them information on where Cicero was headed, a place called Silver Canyon. Um, Danny shows everyone this photograph that he has of Frank. And seeing it, Tommy focuses in on Cicero and a tattoo on his hand, and it really catches his attention, and we all understand why immediately. Yeah, Cicero shot his mom, and he's like, what? Why? Why? Why did that? Seriously. (laughs) So he's pretty shaken. While everyone goes to sleep, he leaves a note behind, and he kind of leaves them and goes it alone. He's like... I can't live with myself if something happened to one of you guys. And you're obviously in that moment like, Ugh, okay, well, they're definitely coming to save the day later, but whatever. After that, we see White Knife going into Silver Canyon, a little sign that says, Welcome to Silver Canyon. He realizes that in Silver Canyon that Frank Stockburn was talking about, Mom, his mother, was his biggest score. Surprise! He finds the windmill. Cicero is there. White Knife drops the money and is like, okay, we're cool now, except we're not because I want to fight you, Cicero, and tells his dad that Cicero was the one who killed his mom. They have a standoff and Cicero shoots first, but Tommy throws his knife and it cuts the bullet in half and it hits, it hits 
machete in the face. (laughs) (laughs) And there's still 30 minutes left in the movie. And you're like, what else is going to happen? The gang members all put their guns on Tommy, but then the uh, the brothers show up and the left eye gang is also there. There's a big standoff, but then Frank de-escalates the situation. He's like, look, Cicero's dead now. You don't have to split the money with him anymore. Just take the 50K and leave us in peace. And Which the group is like, yeah, they're like, that's a pretty good idea. Herm, during this, during the gunfight, tries to roll forward like Adam Sandler did earlier as a tumbleweed, but Herm wasn't there when Adam Sandler did that earlier. So that doesn't make any goddamn sense. Right, and which is too bad, because everything else in the movie was was so solid until that I, point. I agree. Up till that point, I loved it. Better than Good, Bad, and Ugly. Better than Unforgiven. Now, worse than Cowboys and Aliens. Psych, nothing is. So, um... <laughs> Yeah, Frank brings some reason back to the table. Like, a man is allowed to kill the person who killed his mother. And also, that's just one less person to split the money with. They leave. And then Frank goes down the line with all of his five new sons. To Ramon, he says, you know, he's proud to know uh, Ramon's burrow. Ramon's like, he's proud. He sees Chico and he says, you have your mom's muscles, which was pretty funny. And he's also known to tickle the ivories as well. He asks Chico if he should, they could play together. And he says, I li- I'd like that, Dad. He meets Herm. He says, like, Delilah must have been hitting it hard when she had you. And Herm was, like, offended. And he's like, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Tommy invites Frank to come to his wedding. But Frank says he doesn't have time because he has all these debts that he needs to go pay off. He needs to go work them off because now he's completely broke. And the brothers are quick to assure him that they still have another 50000 and that it's going to cover all of them for life. And this is right after he says to Danny, like, shit happens to Danny about his Abe Lincoln problem. And Danny's like, yeah, obviously. And then, right as he tells, uh, as, as White Knife tells Frank Stockburn, their father, after their father was all so nice to all of them in that moment, Frank Stockburn whistles and the gang comes back to get the other 50 grand and in that moment i was like why white guy why old white guy why why does the old white guy always have to be the bad guy also this was stupid they were gonna give him the money anyway yeah and also i get that the old white guy again i have to say this literally every time the old white guy is the evil guy because in the old west the old white guy was the evil guy i get it but also, like, gosh dang, every movie? Well, uh, one of our Twitter followers, Andy Sachs, rightly pointed out that in reality, most most uh, real-life supervillains are old white guys, so. And while we all agree, it's just like, sure, but, like, eventually when you make a movie, you gotta have something else. I don't know. I don't, like, I... No one's asking real life to be more original, like... <laughs> No, I'm asking real life to be realistic, which it always is. And I'm asking my movies for entertainment to be entertaining, which they're not always. So yeah, you guessed it. Nick Nolte's evil. He's going to use the gang to steal the other 50k. This was all a big scam. There never was a treasure to be found. He was just scamming Tommy, hoping that he would come up with 50k to ransom him. I don't know why he scammed his own son. He could have gone to any orphan. And been like, I'm your real dad. Yeah, he's pretty pr- pretty mean of him. And when Tommy uh, threatens him, 
he's like, well, we're not going to give you the money. We're not going to join you. Frank's like, well, you don't have a choice because I have your wife, Smoking Fox, held captive. She came to rescue me, and now I've got her, and I've got a gun to her head, and uh, so you got to do what I say. Two things. One, Steve Zahn had a pretty funny line here. It was like, see, I told you I'd find her. Two, I really like that the reason Smoking Fox was found was because she was trying to rescue her uh, her soon-to-be father-in-law, like, has a good heart, wanted to do that. But while doing that, she learns the awful secret that Frank Stockburn is actually a dickbag. So it turns out that Tommy had hidden a bomb in the original bag of money, and it goes off just when Nick Nolte thinks he's won, and there's a bunch of chaos that ensues, and the good guys are given a chance to fight back. Frank goes to shoot Tommy, but Danny being a Secret Service bodyguard or whatever, jumps in front of him, no, and takes the bullet. And he has a vision of, you know, taking a bullet for Abraham Lincoln, and then he passes out. It makes no sense that White Knife put a bunch of dynamite in that bag. He's going to kill all those people? He's a Native American who doesn't believe that you should be killing a bunch of people, but he's going to be killing all those people, even though the bad things they did? That doesn't make any sense. Okay, let's move on. Yeah, well, it doubly doesn't make sense, because he had planned to kill Cicero in single combat, but then he's like, yeah, that bomb was meant for Cicero. Which is it, Tommy? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, a big brawl breaks out. Frank grabs Smoking Fox and runs away. In passing, we find out that Steve Zahn... Hmm. Zahn? Yes. ...is the only member of the Left Eye Gang who actually cut out his eye. It's really uh, funny, actually. (laughs) Everybody else was just faking. Sucks for him. That that was kind of funny. Yeah, before they all, uh, before White Knife and Smoking Fox and Frank go into the mine in the back there, uh, and while Danny is having his hallucination, he sees uh, the mule as Mrs. Lincoln, which is mean to Miss... There is almost nobody in history who is shit on more than Mrs. Lincoln for being ugly, for being insane, for being just straight up crazy. Gotta give that lady a break, for the love of Christ. Yeah, Poor Mary Todd. For real. Uh, Tommy chases Frank into a mine shaft, and he can't see due to the darkness, but it doesn't matter. He pins Frank up against a wall with his knives. Tommy asks Frank to confess that he actually knew that Cicero was the killer of his mother, and Frank's like, yeah, I organized that because your mom was going to turn me in because she was such a good person. And at first, you think that Tommy's going to kill his dad. He's got a knife to his throat. But eventually, he decides to spare him, citing that his adopted father taught him that killing is wrong. As is a pretty much a mainstay in action movies these days, the, the boy does not save the girl. The girl saves herself. And Smoking Fox is the one who actually escaped Frank Stockburn because she is a lady who can handle her own. In fact, she she's she's handled her own multiple times this movie. And then at the end, they just leave him, Frank Stockburn, in the mine. He's like, "We can't you can't leave me like this." And they're like, "We disagree." Oh, yeah, well, he's as good as dead anyway, so you may have just killed him anyhow. Whatever. Whatever. Cut to the Apache village. All the characters are taking part in Tommy and Smoking Fox's wedding. 
Little Pete monologues over another letter to his mom. Apparently, Frank got sent to jail. Okay, he didn't die. He got sent to jail off screen. Whatever. The brothers are all joining the tribe, and they're very happy. Little Pete has begun a relationship with a Native American woman. Beaver Breath. Which is Adam Sandler's sister. No. And that is it. Adam Sandler's sister? His Beaver wife is, is the one. Really? His yeah. wife is, uh, is, is never wears bra, but okay. Literally, nepotism. Yeah, white and well, white people. You know, you know, Ryan, I'm going to ask you right now: If you ever make a Hollywood movie, can can I can I have a can I can I act badly in it? Only if you can play an Indian. <laughs> the movie ends with a shot of everybody dancing. Literally, every character is here. Mark Twain, Vanilla Ice is here. You missed Steve the part Buscemi where Ch- here. Chico played the piano with his dick, and you didn't even say anything. Yeah, that's right. He plays the wedding theme with his dick. <laughs> Hilarious. And yeah, dance number. There was already a song written by Adam Sandler in this one. Gotta have a dance number. And honestly, the best part of the dance number, you can't see me right now, but I'm popping and locking. The best part of the dance number is Mark Twain, a.k.a. Vanilla Ice, just really breaking it down. Yeah, and it ends on a dancing shot. There's no sunset. Nobody rides into it. And that's how you know this is a shit movie. <laughs> yeah, that's the part that really lets you that lets you have that settle in. And I bet you don't know this, Ryan. But there is an after credits scene. Oh, God. No way. A, Why? It, I didn't watch it. It's about five seconds long. And it's five additional seconds of the baseball scene. Why? And it and it's not funny. And okay. it has nothing to do with the end of the movie. And it just made no sense to me why they put that in there. But it's there. It's what there. words? What words happened? Basically, the game is over. And Abner Doubleday's like... Two, four, six, eight. Who do we appreciate? And then the Chinese baseball players go, the Stockburn brothers. And that's it. There's no joke. They're just like, well, we've got this footage. It'll be a waste not to throw it somewhere in our shitty movie. That's dumb. Is all I have for that. I, ha- I have nothing better for you. That's just, that's, I wish that was, I wish I didn't ask. So this is a recurring theme a lot of these direct-to-streaming comedies are horrible, and they have 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie, direct-to-Netflix, 0%. Joe Dirt 2, direct-to-Crackle or some streaming bullshit, 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. True Memoirs of International Assassin, that's direct-to-Netflix, 0%. The Do-Over, direct-to-Netflix, really fucking horrible reviews. I gotta feel like if you had a good comedy on your hands, you'd put it in theaters. And so if a comedy goes direct to streaming, it's like you know off the bat it's a bad comedy. Yeah, but here's also the the thing. The Ridiculous Six is the movie that has been watched the, the most times out of any movie on Netflix. It broke records on Netflix. Everybody watched this thing. And the amount of people who watched it are, would probably be more because it's over time and constantly on Netflix and everybody just, you know, watches Netflix at night. That's a thing everyone does by and by everyone I mean like a large swath of the population. So I think more people have literally seen this movie in this medium than they would have in theaters, which I guess is the point, but also the other point of there's a reason why it's not in theaters. Yeah, you wouldn't pay to watch this movie. You wouldn't watch it for any amount of money, you're already paying for Netflix, so you might as well watch it. Oh, it's the new Adam Sandler movie. I hear it's fucking horrible. Let's just watch, let's get fucking blazed and watch it. 
I guess let's cover really quickly. Do you think because the big story coming out of this movie was the four Native American extras walking off set for thinking it's racist, and then them being like, the movie has ridiculous in the title because it is ridiculous, it's a broad satire of Western movies and stereotypes, so blah, 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 blah. Do you think it was racist enough to be called racist, or do you think it was stupid enough to be called stupid? Yeah, I don't think that is a a veritable defense I made a lot of jokes of like, oh, this movie is peak racism, and so we can discount it as not being racist. That's not my feelings. That's what the movie is trying to say. To be good satire, you need some kind of nuance. There's no nuance here. It's like, oh, we're going to be as racist as possible, and that's the joke, but that's not actually a joke. At the end of it, Adam Sandler said, and it says, according to the actor, those who left raised legitimate issues but it was quote the wrong battlefield unquote what other battlefield we got we killed all the rest of them we just took all their land and we killed all of them we gave them blankets with smallpox what other battlefield do they have adam right and now their life is a joke to be made fun of by adam sandler who's a fucking hack now jesus wow you 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 came hard so could we are we are we pretty clear that this is your least favorite movie we've watched so far it's definitely uh, fuck. Is it be- well, is it between this and how the West was fun? Yeah, it is, and that for me is a difficult argument to make because, like, at least how the West was fun was for the most part an innocent movie. I think the ridiculous six needs to be put up against another ensemble movie like the Magnificent Seven, and the Magnificent Seven is obviously better. It has, I think a few better jokes than The Ridiculous Six does, which is tough because The Ridiculous Six is a comedy and Seven is not. I wouldn't recommend this to literally anybody, ever. And uh, I'm sad that I've seen it. And saying all of that, I still have it like... I think For me, it's like tied with How the West Was Fun. They're both stupid in their own way, but one is obviously innocent and one is not so much. And I don't know. I we let's can we watch a real one for next week? Well, yeah, I, I'm gonna give this movie the same rating it's got on Rotten Tomatoes. Fucking zero percent. Uh, it's fucking terrible. I wouldn't watch it. Uh, even if you're an Adam Sandler completionist, like this isn't gonna this isn't gonna tickle your Adam Sandler bone. If you're an Adam Sandler completionist, that should be on your tombstone. I don't know. What else is there to say? It's a horrible movie. You don't need to watch it. Right, I I feel a bit more positively about it than that, but not a whole lot. I think uh, we're going to have to be on hiatus next week. Oh, right. I, I was literally going to say we brought up Tombstone today, but we and I wanted to watch it for next week. But, like, you have some selfish reason you can't tell the people. Yeah, well, so we've got a, another member joining the Western Movie Club family, in a literal sense. Uh, I'm about to have a baby boy. And so I have to be tending to that whole business. I, I I won't be able to do my very important Western movie club duties. But uh I will we will be back. We will be back. We don't know when. Babies are fickle creatures who need a lot of love and attention. And uh so I guess for one on behalf of the entire audience James I'm super psyched for you. I know we haven't ta- talked a lot about our personal lives. Uh we given snippets every once in a while and this has been uh leading up for a long time. And we're all pretty psyched for you James. Us here at home and, and the entire audience and if they're not they should be. 
Oh, yeah. Well, thanks, everybody. I really appreciate it. And I'm really looking forward to coming back to the show ASAP. <laughs> I want to thank everybody who's listening. If you're just listening, it totally means a lot to us. If you want to go the extra mile, you could like us on SoundCloud. You could follow us on Twitter at Westworld Ryan. Or you could leave us a nice review on iTunes that helps other people find us. Or, you know, spread it by word of mouth. If you know someone who likes movie reviews, recaps, or westerns, send them our way. I have also started a Overwatch slash Rocket League podcast. If you know those those things are, you can go listen to that. And if you don't, you don't have to. It's called Rocket Watch, and you can Google it. And we want to give a shout out to the World Food Project USA. They're starting a new podcast called Hacking Hunger, and they wrote to us asking us for a little bit of advice on writing a podcast. Check out their podcast if you want to learn more or find out what you can do about combating world hunger. Yeah, I mean, it's a super worthy cause. I, I don't, we haven't really taken any time on this podcast to tell you to do something of, of a serious nature. So if you were looking for it, this is it. This is actually pretty cool. And so while we're on hiatus, you can check out those kinds of things. And we will let you know when we're coming back through the Twitters and through the, our words. I'm James. And I'm Ryan, and this is the Westworld Podcast.